What is the Podcaster Matrix? The Podcaster Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. When you hear the words Friday the 13th, what do you think of? While most will recollect a certain impossible-to-be-killed masked individual bearing sharp weapons of all kinds, there's another Friday the 13th that deserves attention. In 1987, Friday the 13th, the series, created a rich tapestry of completely original storytelling. Based on a series of curious, devilishly enchanted objects that must be recovered and returned to the vault to prevent truly dark fates from befalling their owners. This is the detailed revisit and review of the adventures of their reacquisition. Episode by episode. You won't find any hockey masks here. This is the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. While I didn't have a playhouse outside my home when I was a kid, I did have a stagecoach bunk bed where my friends and I would have ongoing adventures, naps, and memories that fuel me into today. What would have happened if the area I played in was outside, and when I took my friends inside the playhouse, those friends would be eaten by the playhouse to fuel my dreams, wants, and ongoing playtime? Inside this episode of Friday the 13th, the series, we meet the Carlson kids, who have a playhouse and lead a baseball team's worth of children to their distorted, screaming apparent dooms. It's dark. It's thought-provoking and fuels this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and complete educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 2, Episode 12, The Playhouse. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, there's so much to get to inside this episode. Let's skip the housekeeping and get straight to the retail. It's time to play! Inside a smaller El Crapo home in a terrible Canadian neighborhood, a child is being abused and told to leave. Two children, Mike and Janine, the Carlson kids, are heading out on the street and see a younger boy playing. His name is Danny, Danny Green. They wonder what he's playing. It's time for Space Killer! The two youngins are headed for a playhouse, the best place in the world. You see, it's magic. You can do anything that you want inside there. Let's go check it out. They got it from one of their mom's man friends. You see, the kids no longer have a father. The reason is not clear. As they approach the doors, the playhouse doors open on their own, and the three enter inside. It's a very small playhouse, but as they enter and close the doors, they are suddenly swept up in air, light, and shiny graphics as sound effects swirl. Meanwhile, outside, Danny Green's mother is looking for him frantically across the neighborhood. Down at the Curious Goods antique shop, Mickey is listening to a war report, then a news note about another missing child. Danny's picture appears on the screen. Now nine missing kids. What the hell? 
On the screen, the Carlson kids appear and lie outright on television about Danny's disappearance. The police are doing everything that they can, and now it's time to pray. Jack begins talking tomorrow's agenda, and hey, Ryan's looking for a playhouse. Hmm. Ryan will be hunting it down tomorrow, and they all head for supper and a peaceful night's sleep. It's always good to have a full belly and a good night's sleep before hunting cursed items, Mike. Agreed. Back at home, the Carlson kids are being scolded by their angry, pestilent mother. She's heading out on a date. Be in bed before midnight, got it, you little brats? They do, as well as a new goal, a night in the playhouse. They arrive at the playhouse and close the doors as the scene fades into tomorrow. Jack, Mickey, and Ryan's day is progressing forward. Ryan's got an address on the playhouse. It's time to pile into the rolls. The Carlson kids once again try to get into the playhouse, but alas, the doors are locked, and so it's time to find another kid to give to the playhouse. Janine wants no part of it, but Mike? Well, it's all they have. It's time to find some new friends, he exclaims. As Jack, Mickey, and Ryan head towards the address, they arrive in the neighborhood, and they see posters for kids that are missing. Could the playhouse and the disappearances be connected? I'll give you three guesses, Mike, and the first two don't count. The Carlson kids find two more young girls who are now super curious about the playhouse. The doors of the playhouse open automatically again, and all four go inside. The two girls experience the same swirling lights and graphics and air that all the other children have experienced. And then a flash of light, and the two girls awaken inside the magical realm of the playhouse. Harlequin panels adorn the walls and floor. A stork, marble pillars everywhere, and bounties galore are in every nook and cranny of a much larger space. If you're nice to us, then you can have anything you want. If you're not nice to us, then time to eat worms. It's okay, because they're chocolates after the commercial break. The four children walk inside the now massive room, and the two girls are asked, What's the one thing you've always wanted? One wants a pony. The other one wants a complete set of collector rock star, not gem, dolls. The two girls' wanted items appear, and their dreams come true. And now it's time to play. But before the fun can begin, a grumbling, rumbling erupts. Wouldn't you like to stay here forever? Of course they would. Unfortunately, now it's time for the hate. These kids run hot and cold, Mike. Both of the Carlson kids tell the new arrivals, I hate you. Repeatedly, I hate you. As the chanting continues, I hate you. A new darker door opens, and the dreamy items in the room begin to disappear one by one, as do our new visitors. They end up behind the Harlequin walls, where they are eventually taken in with the other missing children. As the walls close around the new arrivals, the distorted, screaming faces and hands of small children can be seen pressing towards freedom on the opposing side. The dreamy items reappear, and Mike says, Hey, I know what we can play. I'll be Peter Pan, and you can be Wendy. Time for Never Neverland! And the two fly into the now massive starlit space inside the playhouse. Second star to the right, and straight on till morning. 
Outside, Brian is investigating Brad's house. You know, Brad, he's the gent that had the playhouse. Brad's got an angle. He's looking for mounds of money and is wondering how much Ryan is willing to pay for it. $5,000. Cash only. And now it's time to diversify skill sets. Jack will keep an eye on Brad. Ryan and Mickey are venture off to talk to the parents of the missing kids to find out more. It's time for dinner. And the kids venture back home where Mumsy's not only feeding their food to Earl, some dude she met on her last date. They get some insults and a punch in the face. That doesn't hurt. The phone rings and, hey, it's Brad who's looking for the playhouse because it's sold, baby. Brad's coming over to take away the playhouse, you little shits. Now it's time for the kids to ponder their next move and into the playhouse the Carlson kids go. Mickey and Ryan are busy going from house to house to find out what's happened. They arrive at another parent's house and ask about a playhouse. Hmm. They learn more about the Carlson children. A boy and a girl. And suddenly, the game is afoot for Mickey and Ryan. Mickey and Ryan arrive at the Carlson homestead and find the playhouse. They're able to make their way inside. And while it's small and tight, they're now stuck inside. They try to disassemble the playhouse from the inside, but the Carlson kids detect their shenanigans and knock out Mickey and Ryan with awesome playhouse magic. Talk about a whammy, Mike. Down the street, inside the crappy Canadian neighborhood, outside the Bates Bar, our soon-to-collect $5,000 friend Brad is making a deal on a truck to haul away the playhouse. Jack, who's been watching, spying on Brad the whole time, begins a conversation with Brad who then sucker punches Jack as he jumps into the truck and hauls ass playhouse word. Inside a darkened playhouse, Mickey and Ryan awaken, but are now hogtied up together. It's a special day in the playhouse, the Carlson boy says. It's time for a party in your honor. Balloons appear everywhere. A juggler, Mr. Bunny, a clown with balloons. More mascots appear and begin a dance with circus music. And oh, it's so much fun. You and I have a different definition of fun, Mike. It's time for cake. And then it all goes south. Everything turns horror-ridden. A beast bursts from the cake. The characters all turn into creatures from every corner of one's darkest imagination. And then it all stops. Why? Because Brad is outside cranking with a hammer trying to disassemble the playhouse to collect his $5,000 bounty. The Carlson kids go outside to stop Brad, who begins to assault the children. A local cop and parent hear the local mayhem. The cop arrives and draws down on Brad. Put your hands on your head, now! These kids know me. I know their mother. Me and her used to bang. I mean, uh, we used to date a long time ago. Brad is cuffed and taken away screaming as the Carlson kids chuckle at Brad's newfound fate. Across town, a local detective is tending to post-sucker punch Jack, who learns that Brad has been apprehended and taken over to the station house, but the Carlson kids are now missing. Jack makes his way to the Carlson house and sees (gasps) the playhouse. Jack inspects the playhouse and goes inside on all fours. Inside the deeper playhouse, the two Carlson kids have Ryan and Mickey ready to be burned at the stake. You'll have to stay here forever or I'll set you ablaze like a couple of hot dogs. There's a lot of anger in this young man, Mike. I agree. 
Janine, the sister, though, is mind-melding with Jack up in the foyer of the playhouse or something and begins to feel something. There's someone in the playhouse. Time to take care of the new trespasser. The Carlson kids engage the playhouse, and Jack is swept inside with the lights and flashing, shimmering graphics and air that everyone else has. Jack awakens and sees the Carlson kids. Who are you? Jack sees Ryan and Mickey. We're just antique dealers, and we want to buy the playhouse. The boy doesn't buy it, but the girl, she's on the fence of caring about all of them. It's time to feed the house. Back outside, the pestilent mother is talking to the cops and is sure she doesn't know where her kids are and obviously doesn't care either. Not a recipient of the Mother of the Year Award, Mike. Inside, the hate chanting begins towards Mickey and Ryan. And while the girl needs coaxing, the house can't take them. Why? Because they're not children. The horrific magical kingdom begins to crumble. The house only wants... The house wants the girl! Jack sees what the house wants and strangely encourages the boy to give the house his sister. Can the boy tell the house that he hates his sister? He can't! He loves his sister! The house closes its mall-like door and begins to emit gas from everywhere. We must rob the playhouse of its hate. The picture is becoming crystal clear. Only love can save them. I'm not afraid, says the girl. I care. I love you all, she says to all, and the house begins to crumble. The girl stokes her brother into sharing his care and love to all that have been entrapped inside the playhouse previously. The power of the playhouse is failing, and the children begin to reappear from their harlequin hoosgows. Outside the cop see the Carlson kids. Jack appears outside, while Mumsy exclaims, Where have you been, you worthless brats? As Mumsy finishes her verbal vaping, Jack offers up a golden nugget himself. All these children need is love, and if you won't give it to them, then I'm sure the courts will find someone who will. And then the rest of the missing kids emerge alive from the playhouse. The cops are stymied and in awe, but still appreciative. It's time to make some joyful calls, detective, Jack says. Back at the Curious Goods Antique Shop, Jack, Mickey, and Ryan are finally home from the police inquisition, and it's time for breakfast. Dude, did the police believe our story? It doesn't matter because people... Never really listen to children or quirky antique dealers. And what about the Carlson kids? The courts will find them a good foster home, and Jack Marshak, man of action, will see to it that the kids find a grand new home where an incredible child's imagination can be appreciated. After the dust and playhouse panels settle, the item is... Recovered! Every episode of Friday the 13th has goods and bads. Let's get to the goods. Branding with an effective message that redirects. We've talked about my incessant hatred of messages being inserted into especially anything pop culture that serves as a baton with which to then bludgeon people (laughs) with said message. And what you identified instantly that I really do appreciate inside of this episode is that while we are given that, yes, 
child abuse is bad. I mean, like like there's any other perspective. Right. It is a message that fuels the episode, but it's not a message with which to then beat people over the head with. Yeah. And I'm so appreciative of that. Right, right. The fact that we start the episode off with knowing exactly where we stand, where the Carlson family is concerned. This is not a nice mother. This is not someone who cares about her children. And the children are left to their own devices. Yeah. yeah. And uh, kind of leads them down the path of, uh, I'll, I'll even use it in quotation marks, villainy. Yeah. The Carlson kids are the villains of this story, yeah. technically. If you want to trace it all back to the, the neglect and the hate and the abuse, then the mother is the yeah. real villain of yeah. this story. What I also appreciate is that there's no golden light moment where the mother realizes what a worthless right. shit she is. It's there, like, oh, it's, I almost lost my children. They yeah. were almost kidnapped. Oh, babies, I love you so... No, we didn't get that. We didn't get that. And, and I'm glad. Yes. And there's uh, there's another piece where we'll talk about the consequences of this episode or not. Mm-hmm. And that's something else that I didn't consider. So we'll, we'll, we'll hit that again later on inside this episode. Solid script writing. I'm always appreciative when not only do we get what I think are great actor portrayals from all the way around. Yeah. Uh, even though there's a couple that are a little bit cartoony. I think the mom and Brad are both kind of out there like Pluto, man. <laughs> but yeah, they're there. and uh, they, but, serve but, the, they serve the purpose of the narrative. They absolutely serve the purpose. And there's no doubt that, you know, they're losers. They're, they're not being couched to kind of be losers. Right. They are losers. There's no question. the The script writing here, though, is really well done, and it, it it's thought out. There's that little question of what is it that the playhouse is going to do, and how does it work? Yeah. And it's one, it's not convoluted. Two, it's not complicated. And three, it's sh- it's shut down all within forty four or so minutes. Yeah. And yeah. it makes some sense as opposed to being convoluted. We don't get it, and then we get to bitch about it at the end of the episode. So it, it, it's very well done, and all of that is due to the very effective, solid script writing inside this episode. Yeah. Oh, well, this episode was not only directed, but written by Tom McLaughlin. Uh, this one, you can feel, especially where we've had a couple of uh, clunkers in season two so far, mm-hmm. this was a breath of fresh air story-wise because, and we've talked about this before, all you need is a line of dialogue and you can explain something away. Yeah. Every single time we we had this moment where somebody would say something like, well, how are you going to pull that off? Before we could finish that question, a line of dialogue pops up explaining how that's going to happen. And And we're like, oh, okay, never mind. And and that's missing from so many programs. And I'm talking about every program. Old and new. Right. In particular, the new ones. In particular, the ones that get awards. Mm. Where if you just watch them. And you think, okay, well, I guess you should know that because you know the characters because you've been watching the program. Eh, I guess. The, 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 the Again, the sample of one line of dialogue inserted would fix this. Yeah. Is not something we should ever need to be saying, especially in a modern day like today. It, well, it, it oh, yeah. shouldn't, shouldn't be that way. Anyway, great script writing here. Effective stagecraft. All right, so we've got everything from the slums of northern Canada neighborhoods <laughs> to the seedy underbelly yeah, of Canada yeah, uh, to the wonderfully effective Playhouse Foyer, which is the mini playhouse, right? To the inside Harlequin esque 
Playhouse right, that yeah. was all incredibly effectively depicted inside this episode. There's a couple of really shining moments that we'll get to later inside of this episode. But uh, again, this is um, this is where this program really does excel, especially when it's firing on all thrusters and able to showcase the skill sets of people that are roped into providing the episode. Yeah. All, all the way across the board, I thought that everything inside of Stagecraft here was all very, very effective. There was never any time that I, I felt this is a little overboard. Yeah. You know, it was like, yeah. okay, you're you're visually telling me a story with what you've got here. Yeah. You know, if I wasn't listening to this episode, if I was if it was on the TV and it was on mute, I could still understand what was really going on. Yeah. And this is one I remember from my childhood. Mm. This one this one stuck with me. I've actually been secretly waiting for this episode to come rolling around. Mm. I was very happy because I remember it. But then watching it, you know, so many years later, I'm like, I can appreciate it for so many different things. Yeah. From going from a child, essentially maybe a little bit older than the actual Carlson kids in this story, yeah. to when I first saw it, to now a fully grown 40-year-old adult looking at it with a different perspective. Yeah. And I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Bonus good. A happy ending. Anybody that's familiar with this show is totally familiar that the episodes in general do not end well no. for uh, not only not only the people that are impacted by the items themselves but very often we find our three heroes also somehow entwined mm-hmm. inside of the object itself either experiencing physical harm some sort of psychological impact or just outright question marks when you finish the episode, not knowing if they've been impacted or not. Yeah. Yeah. And so to have what amounts to a very happy ending uh, almost across the board inside of this episode is something very, very different than what we usually get. I'm going to say for the time period in which this episode was created for, that's a a huge two thumbs up. I agree. Totally agree. Today. I would expect a little bit more peril, mm-hmm. and I would expect consequences. And we're going to talk about consequences in our next section, so I'm not going to cover it here. Yeah. But but for modern-day audiences, if everything ends on a happy ending, well, what did you learn? Right. What did you really learn? Right. And again, it's it's not me being, you know, I'm not <clears> twisting <throat> my mustache. Oh, I love hurting children. Right. No, that's not me. But again, if you're telling a horror story right. that revolves around children— mm-hmm. And it ends out, oh, well, there's no peril at all. The, the, the lesson here is, well, you can't trust anybody, even other kids. Eh. But that's not me complaining. That's me going, if this was made today, mm-hmm. there'd need to be some more consequences. For the time period, this this is exactly how you do an yeah, episode. Terribly like appropriate. Yes. Yeah, all of it. And that's why we added this as our bonus good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we ask you guys, what did you find good about this episode of Friday the 13th, the series? Go on over to our website over at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Just like the goods, every episode of Friday the 13th, the series comes with a few bads. Here are some of the not so goods for this episode. What does poor and abused mean actually? Uh, now, we, we have this as a bad because I don't know if I actually, I, I might be nitpicking here, mm-hmm. but there were a handful of times where it seemed a little, I don't want to call it ham-fisted, but almost a little bit too obvious that to convey their point faster, 
the best way to show abuse and and low income was okay so we're going to throw a bunch of trash on this little yard and it'll be the only yard in this neighborhood that has trash on it <laughs> there's going to be empty beer bottles along the outside of the windowsill mm-hmm. uh, okay and then you go into the backyard and it's it's a little it's more of the same it's there's trash and and beer bottles empty beer bottles everywhere yeah inside the carlson home it's disheveled on it's very unclean and the mother is dressed very uh, low rent i i will say <laughs> to be kind kind yes the children <laughs> they look disheveled as well there were times where i couldn't tell if the markings on their face were either supposed to be bruises or just dirt like they're they're dirty well they're kids so that you know they're playing in the yard i mean i could totally get that but we know about the abuse so is it a bruise and if it's a bruise and they're walking around the neighborhood none of these other parents are seeing this again it's it's me splitting hairs here because we needed to find a few things to actually really complain about and put in the bads here this was an excellent episode Mm -hmm. If it were done today, the abuse and neglect would be a little bit more subversive because that's how it really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if we knew all of the children that are being abused, more things would be done about it. Yeah, I think I think there's there's another piece that would also come out in today's playing field, mm. which I don't like and I think probably could would be better off not being depicted where – I think what would end up happening is you'd find something that would be the like the ultimate edges of what people think are either the most horrific or mm, okay, yeah. where it can't just be something that's bad. You know, I I realize that they want to use something inside of television that is the most horrific sample of blah. Right. But like you said, very often it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Very often it's it's not only is it plain. But it's very plain and very plainly kept, very often right in front of you, and you don't even know it until you start digging. Yeah, and that's I think that's one of the one of the really giant negatives that we have inside inside of today's culture, is that we've become so privatized as especially as families. I know that in general, I remember feeling that as as a kid with my family is that. Except for maybe my friends, who I didn't really share any of my own personal foibles and mm-hmm. experiences with, I didn't talk to anybody. Yeah, like n- no one. A lot of people thought they knew what my mom did. She worked at Mobile as an oil executive secretary. Yeah, but nobody ever knew that. And so, if you ask people from back then, yeah, what did Wilkerson's mom do? Uh, you'll get a myriad of different answers because nobody knows. And so that that's that's one of those things where. I, I, I don't know the mood today of, like, if you go and ask any of my, if my daughter were to ask any of my daughter's friends, what do their parents do? I don't think she would know because hmm. it just doesn't work that way. I, I, I At least it didn't for me. I have no idea what any of my childhood friends' parents did at all. Nothing. I, I don't think as a child we cared. Yeah. I don't think it really mattered right. what they did. Mm-hmm. But... I, I can't say this from my childhood experience. You do compare your living situation with what you see when you go over to somebody else's house. Yes, I agree with that. And some parents are very good at pretending to be one way when there are eyes on them. Yes. And then there is the stuff that happens that you're told about in confidence 
or you stumble upon when the uh, the veneer cracks just a little bit. Yeah. When their guard is let down and they actually let something slip. Yeah. Uh, I remember that happening several times uh, in my childhood. And I'm not saying that, you know, the majority of my friends were being physically abused by their parents. Right, right. It's just some of them had a way of talking to each other yeah. that I would never even dream about talking to my mother. Yeah. Uh, in, in that way, you know, yeah. so, some would scream and yell at each other, and some happy home. You know, it's it's not in every home, but I do agree with you to a sense that we are very guarded when it comes to what we do. Even though we live in a world now where we share quote unquote everything, yeah. yeah. So we're we're a very contradicting society right yeah. now. This is this is an episode that we're revisited today in a show like. Like uh, Black Mirror, if it was featured in one of those today, it, it would have a different flavor. Mm-hmm. But the true sour flavor rings true because the bottom line is that it's child abuse. It's 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 the negative connotation that gets hit, and that's what that's the point. Yeah, the difference is that the storytelling and the script writing is tight enough that that is not a bludgeon, which again I appreciate. Yeah, yeah. So what I would say for this episode is. You don't have to beat us over the head with the fact that, yes, this is a poor family, this mother doesn't like her children, and their lives are crap. Gleefully, no consequences. This is something we do not see in this show because, uh, really, it is all all about the consequences. Somebody has to pay. Mm -hmm. And it's usually the person using said cursed item, but the kids are using a cursed item. So y- you want the kids to die? Well, well, no, you don't, yeah. technically. Well, at least back then, where this episode was concerned. Today, again, we've, we talk about if this was remade today, they might have taken the character of Mike a little bit darker. Because Janine was always kind of like on the fence. Yeah. She did it because Mike... Mike did it, and they both were in the same boat together, but she always seemed the one who cared a little bit more. And at the end, Mike had that moment of, oh, well, when it actually affects me where it's my sister, Mm -hmm. I can't give her up, so love will save us all. Okay. And that's almost similar to what we were talking about if the mother had come around, oh, I almost lost my babies. What have I done? I'm a horrible person. Come to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like that. But because it's kids... We, we give it a pass because, well, we don't want to see kids hurt. Right. I mean, we already get enough haunting images in this episode mm-hmm. of the kids behind the Harlequin wall pushing out mm-hmm. with their faces in, in this, this screaming gesture mm-hmm. and, and the hands reaching out. Yeah. That's kids in peril to the nth degree right yeah. there for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. We don't necessarily want to see the kids have face the consequences but but then again nobody really got hurt by the right. end of this all the kids were were released mm-hmm. and they went back home i guess the only one who did face consequences is is mumsy right because jack is going to make sure that these kids are put into a place that you know where they get love yeah. so and, and the, the concept and, and push of child protective services you know as much as you know, I'm gonna call someone. I'm gonna call child protective services on your kids. Yeah. As much as you may have, I hope nobody's ever heard somebody say that to them. But as as much as you might have heard that, that process is much way longer drawn out than you call somebody. Somebody appears and the kids are safe tomorrow. Yeah. That typically is not the case. No. 
and and so that that is a piece of the consequences, quote unquote, that are inside this episode. But I, again, looking across the episode in general, there aren't any consequences for anybody. Yeah. You had surmised that Brad would probably be let go because there's no witnesses. The kids don't remember anything. Well, I mean, there, there's no evidence that he took any of the children because all the children are back and they don't remember what happened to them. So they can't say, yeah, that's the guy who put me in the playhouse yeah. and I've been, yeah. uh, you know, Gone there's, 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 whatever. he probably spent a weekend in jail. Yeah. He probably got a fine. Mm-hmm. He had to eat some bad bologna sandwiches and, and, and a honey bun and, <laughs> and he's back doing Brad things now. Yeah. Yeah, very very interesting and a, a definitive departure for most of our episodes because typically there are usually some very yeah. deep consequences. Steep, very steep yeah. consequences. Yeah. Where is the freight entrance for the Curious Good Shops vault? <laughs> this is great. This is great. For those that aren't either aren't familiar with the episode or haven't seen it, the playhouse is about the size of the back of an entire van, like, yeah, like if not bigger. Yeah, I, I mean, would say that's at least seven feet tall. Yeah, it it would fit in the back of a twenty six foot box truck. Yeah, and that's okay. It doesn't make any difference. I I think that the size of the playhouse was very impressive. Yes, I just would like to know how in the hell they're going to get it in the vault <laughs> at the Curious Good Shop. It's, that is, they're going to do it. Stairs. They're going to do it the same way that they got that cursed wood chipper into the vault as <laughs> yeah. well. We'll have to take it in through the obviously never-before-seen freight entrance that we'll clearly have to ask John LeMay about. Because yes. Maybe, maybe someone asked that question? Maybe. Maybe, who, maybe who not. Knows? Maybe who not. Maybe we'll be the first. Yeah. You know, hey, John, so where's the freight entrance? Because you got some big items that, that <laughs> unless you, like, took them apart. But can you take apart cursed items? Can mm. you? I, I, I as long as nobody's inside to I, uh, interrupt. I, don't I guess. All right. Well, those were our picks for the not-so-goods inside this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. But we want to know what you thought could have used a little bit of polish in this episode. Head on over to our website at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com, fill out the contact form, and tell us what you thought were some not-so-goods. It's time to take a break during this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We will be, say it with me, right Right back. back. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. Editing podcasts can be, ugh, rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right the first time. Well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content, and they're ready for yours now. Check out EditorCore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment. 
real impact thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Everyone, welcome back to the Curious Kids Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and a complete educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 2, Episode 12, The Playhouse. Every time we come back from break, it's time for Nick and I to lay out our manifest moments. The manifest moments are typically either an actor's portrayal, a storytelling element used inside this episode, or something else that trips our collective review night fantastic. Nick, what have you got? There was a lot to choose from inside of this episode for for a manifest moment. Uh, I could probably do an entire episode of just my manifest moments inside oh, of please, this one. please, let's do that. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. That'll be, the, that'll be the side <laughs> podcast for this. <laughs> the companion podcast for the companion <laughs> podcast for the companion podcast. Right. So That's if great. I'm going to narrow it down to just one thing, it's got to be this. The nod to Alfred Hitchcock. Mm. One of the things mm. I love about Tom McLaughlin's writing and directing is he likes to put references, whether they be big or small, mm-hmm. Uh, of things that he loves. Uh, one, a perfect example is there's a ton of classic movie monster references in Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, mm-hmm. which which he directed and helped write. Right. In this one, uh, not only does the playhouse look like a version of the Bates house that sits high on the hill looking down at the Bates Motel Mm -hmm. in Psycho, Mm -hmm. but there's actually a bar in this small neighborhood called the Bates Bar. Mm -hmm. I'd like to believe that right there is a direct nod. It's like, okay, so we're making this playhouse, and the playhouse is going to look cool, and it's going to look like the Bates house. Okay, cool. But then we also are able to get give me a neon sign that just says Bates to throw it up there just to – hammer home the fact that this is an homage. And, and the thing is, is that when you think about it, I mean, Psycho has nothing to do with the storytelling elements of this episode, except for the abuse that Norman's mother inflicted upon him to turn him into, yeah, and, well, quote unquote, the Psycho. And the dark imagination. Yeah. So, too. so for yeah. me, it's that perfect representation of winking to the audience, especially the, the the ones that can get it. And I really appreciate that. And that's my manifest moment. I, I'm actually going to have a couple inside of this one. This, this oh, was, oh, you dirty bird. Yeah, this was an extraordinary episode, mostly because it was filled with so much awesome. Right. That it's not that we don't get that in other episodes, but not, not nearly this much that mm-hmm. can be stopped and talked about. It's been a while. Right. Now, I think the, the first piece, 
uh, that we have to talk about that we've talked nothing about so far is Lisa Jacob inside of this episode. For those that have forgotten Lisa Jacob, Lisa Jacob is the young girl that's featured in 1993's Mrs. Doubtfire. She has done a variety of other things. Including but is... including this show. This is her second appearance. <clears throat> right. uh, let's not forget her, her first time, season one, Cup of Time. She was the... Little homeless girl that stole yeah. the uh, the the ornate cup with the ivy on it. Yeah, it, it was fun to see her again, and I, I am a f- uh, follower of hers on Facebook, mm. and have been for a, a, a series of years. I think I remember seeing her that she was on Facebook, and she likes to share liberally what she's doing with her life and photographs and stuff. And mm-hmm. I would encourage all of you to go over there and check out what she's doing. She's got a, a blog that she writes regularly for, and. It's fun to just drop in on her life every now and again and see what's happened to Lisa Jacob, who was featured inside of this episode. Again, a total nod to her. She was the wonderful voice of reason inside of an episode that needed direly some reason at one point, and it was given. Yeah, yeah. It was very well done. Anyway, Lisa Jacob's my first one. My second note inside this episode has got to be the wispy departure to Never Never Land that's featured inside of this episode while... The Carlson children are playing inside of the deeper playhouse. Yeah. The effect is so incredibly effective that I can't believe we actually saw it inside of a television show in the 1980s. That's how effective it was. And granted that the, the, I, I so wish there was a better screen representation for these episodes because the episodes really are rough. They they are. I, but I also feel like if they were, if we got better quality, we might start seeing chinks more the of the yeah. chinks in the armor. Uh, anyway, that I, that was spectacular. And what is really strange about the way that we capture episodes, in particular episodes like this one, is that while we're watching the episodes, I'm also frantically taking notes to give you guys the retell. So I am watching what's going on, but I'm also looking down at my computer system and then looking back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So I know that I'm missing some things, and thankfully Nick and I have a, a check point <laughs> checks and balances mike checks yeah, and balances the, the checkpoint session to to go back through the storytelling and make sure we're on point but that scene was spectacular yeah it, it is what it should, i think should be the bar for the bottom line of what every effect should be and if it's not that it shouldn't be in it. it it was that good when it comes to in-camera effects that was pulled off expertly yeah it, it was it was magnifique the last one that i have of my only one that i get if, for the manifest moment inside of this, you talked about it, but we've got to hit it again because it was so magnificently represented, is the playhouse. Ah, yes. Again, yes. I've, I never had a playhouse outside of my house like a playhouse like this. Ever. Right, yeah. And so uh, I remember my friend Jeff Allen, whom I've referred to regularly lately, uh, he had a tree house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that was the first house outside a house that i can remember and i'm like damn that's really cool and you know looking back now all it was was some boards that were hammered onto a house onto a tree yeah look at the tree house wow but when we're kids that's oh it's it's magic it's freedom it, it not only is it freedom it's magic and the uh the, the ability to scale the tree and go get in the house i mean that just it i remember it to this day i remember that tree and uh anyway the 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 house that's represented here is spectacular uh, that you'd mentioned that it looks like the Bates house from Psycho mm-hmm. instantly made me chalk it up even a higher notch. <laughs> uh, it, it is beyond description, and it absolutely has to be my top of the mook moment inside of this episode. 
That's where we ask you guys, what was your manifest moment inside this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the web form and tell us what was your manifest moment. Vocabulary. Ah, the vocabulary that fuels each of our episodes inside this episode of Friday the 13th. Our first vocabulary word is... Neglect. Ah, the always fun word of neglect. Not always fun. No. So, thanks to our friends over at Visual Thesaurus, we have lack of attention and due care. The state of something that has been unused and neglected. A willful lack of care and attention. Or the trait of neglecting responsibilities and lacking concern. Oh, wait, there's one more. Failure to act with the prudence that a reasonable person would exercise under the same circumstance. Very interesting. And again, I'm totally appreciative and give a giant nod to this episode for giving us a a, a periscope into a topic that they obviously wanted to send a message about, but not bludgeon us to death with it. Right, yeah. Love that. Our second vocabulary word is... Deadbeat. Ah, the always fun word of deadbeat. Also not so fun. (laughs) Anyway, deadbeats, for those that are not familiar, that's someone who fails to meet a financial obligation, which I guess we have a whole bunch in here. Yeah, well, I would definitely say Mumsy fails to meet her financial obligation to to feed and clothe and take care of those children. Mm. Where's our dinner? Oh, I gave it to Earl. Screw you, lady. You look just like Alfred Molina. Not so, Alfred Molina. Dime store, <laughs> Alfred Molina. And that's where we ask you guys, what vocabulary words did you identify from this episode? Let us know what you think by going, again, to our website, CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us which vocabulary words you would focus on inside this episode. Episode rating. Ah, the always vaulted rating inside of this episode of Friday the 13th, Season 2, Episode 12. The Playhouse. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap. A palatial mansion, able to hold everybody and have all kinds of cool clowns, balloons, and cupcakes that have no beasts bursting from them. A 1 is on the bottom of the list inside the hellish playhouse inside this episode. Everything starts at a 7 as an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick? There are no absies. Nick, what do you got? We could spend another 20, 30 minutes talking about everything sure. that we love about this Let's episode. Let's do the retail again. It was so much but what, fun. <laughs> but when it really boils down to it, uh, we had to sit and think for a while about the things that we wanted to put Mm -hmm. inside of our bad section. Yeah. Uh, There were so many good things that we threw in a bonus good, and there are still a list of things that we could have talked about. Oh, yeah. You broke the rules and and had three manifest moments. I I mean, if I knew I could break the rules, I would have had a couple of manifest moments myself. (laughs) But okay, whatever, you're the boss. I'm not going to mince words. This was definitely a top-notch episode, and I got to rate this 
a 10. Yeah, I think finding this anything other than a 10 would be absolute disservice. And so I, too, give this episode a 10. That's where we ask you guys, what did you think about Season 2, Episode 12? The Playhouse. Of Friday the 13th, the series. Let us know what you think by going again to our website. Everybody say it with me. The CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Dot com. Fill out the web form and tell us how you ranked this episode. Oh, Nick, look at this. I thought I, you were supposed to silence your phone. I know. So sorry. But you know what? This hmm. is good news. I've just gotten a notification that Amazon has actually delivered a package for us right outside. Uh, they didn't They didn't bring it you, in? You, you won't believe this. You see, I never had a playhouse when I was a kid. Yeah. So I ordered one off of Amazon, and <laughs> I had them deliver it here today for us. Well, that sounds yeah, so outside. convenient. Yeah, come on outside real quick. All right. Nick, check this out, huh? Oh, wow. Th- that's impressive. It actually looks like the space, space shuttle. Space shuttle, yeah. right? It's the space shuttle playhouse. Well, that's ominous. Oh, not really. Why don't you jump inside? We'll have some fun this afternoon. Uh, Mike, two things. A, I'm not that small. Uh-huh. And B, I ain't that stupid. Yeah, well, that's okay. Oh, hey, by the way, you know what else I got off Amazon? What? Cotton candy, dude. Okay, well, I do love me some cotton candy. Yeah, here, check it out. It's awesome. Hmm. Hmm. That's just, this, what is this flavor? It's, it's, it's not red, it's not raspberries, it's, it's not bubblegum, it's, it's not, but my tongue's just, ooh, this doesn't taste right. Yeah, Nick, the flavor you're tasting is chloroform cotton candy. <laughs> Thanks, everybody! See you next episode! Thanks for listening to this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We are always interested in learning what you remember about these enchanted items and their tales of reacquisition. Connect with us immediately at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com to share your treasured information. Until the next artifact reveals itself, the vault is now closed. The three children, the tree children, the tree, the tree, <laughs> the tree children. children, and then the rest of the missing kids, Jimmy Hoffa and the magical elixir that keeps Keith Richards alive somehow emerge from the playhouse. <laughs> I was not a part of that writing of this retail. What is this flavor? It's, it's, it's not, ra- it's not raspberries. It's, well, <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to... <laughs> Come on. I'm acting here. <laughs> Watching drug voice take over. It's awesome. Ha <laughs> ha!